Hello, welcome to this special JNNP podcast. I'm Janice O'Flaherty. I'm the journal's publisher at BMJ, and I'm here with Alistair Compton, Professor Emeritus from Cambridge University. Uh, Alistair chaired one of the round tables that JNNP hosted to celebrate the 2017 World MS Day, and we're here to discuss the issues raised by the round table, uh, brain health matters in MS. Thank you for coming today, uh, Alistair. And can we start with the key take-home messages from the roundtable and how you feel they align with the overall MS Brain Health Time Matters recommendations? Well, thank you very much, Janet. Um, Brain Health Time Matters in Multiple Sclerosis uh, is a consensus report which was endorsed by 36 organisations and based on the collective views and wisdom of 24 individuals who are all expert in various aspects of the disease. And for me, the the brain health recommendations can be summarised as arguing that delay in all aspects of multiple sclerosis is expensive. Uh, It's expensive in terms of lost brain tissue. It's expensive in terms of the dignity of the individual. It's expensive in maintaining personal and domestic life. And it's expensive in the long-term fiscal burden that the disease brings. So for me, it's it's biologically illogical and financially short-sighted to wait until these costs are certain and the possibility of limiting or even preventing those burdens is, is lost. Um, the delays can be categorised um, as failure to make the diagnosis and initiate management, failure to start disease-modifying treatments, and failure to recognise that whatever is currently being prescribed is not sufficiently effective and therefore needs to be reconsidered. One uh, issue that brought up some very lively discussion uh, at the round table was uh, whether there's only one window of therapeutic opportunity in MS. Uh, how how do you uh, consider that? Yeah, I mean, this this was a, an important issue. But perhaps if I if I go back a step um, and just explain that in, in different ways, that the three speakers in the session that I chaired uh, addressed the the main issues that the the brain health time matters in MS report uh, had raised. So we heard from uh, Ruth Geraldes from Oxford, uh, Klaus Schmara from Barts, the London, and from uh, Jose Cerquira from uh, Braga in Portugal. They each positioned themselves at a late stage in the disease, um, explaining that the, the situation by then is atrophy of the brain due to axon loss. And in different ways, they, they each asked what might have been done in order to have avoided that situation. Ruth focused on, on vascular comorbidity and the extent to which this contributes to loss of brain tissue independently or interactively with the the core process in in multiple sclerosis and how attention to general vascular health and avoidance of risk factors such as smoking might be protective for the person with MS. This was a very interesting um, angle on the disease. Klaus did address the point you just made by asking at what point does the situation become hazardous? Is this inevitably from the outset or after a period of potentially treatable disease activity. And, of course, he asked, to what extent do disease-modifying treatments, uh, as opposed to lifestyle measures, prevent this sequence of events from playing out? And Professor Chikira extended discussion uh, to make the point that 
brain atrophy not only increases with time, but also the capacity for self-repair, for endogenous repair, may also reduce. So early treatment is clearly best, but the the definition of what is too late uh, needs careful consideration. And he made the point that there may be a continuing dividend, albeit reducing over time, from treatments even when these are given in moderately advanced cases. So coming to your, your second question, which is the window of therapeutic opportunity, that concept was introduced into MS parlance in a paper published in 2006 in the Journal of Neurology, and the view was expressed at the time that inflammation is the pivotal process in multiple sclerosis, and that axon degeneration, or brain atrophy, is entirely consequential, and that the degenerative process may then gain its own momentum, perhaps due to loss of trophic support for nerve cells and axons because of persistent demyelination. I would say that this concept was later refined with the addition of dates and durations and disabilities as part of the therapeutic equation, but others then changed the argument and suggested that degeneration may be inevitable from the outset, and if it is going to happen, it will do so irrespective of whether and when disease-modifying treatments have been used. Well, this debate you know, moves on, um, and I think is coming towards consensus. But for me, it makes sense to take a pragmatic position and say that, that the best prospect of changing the natural history of multiple sclerosis in the individual is to start treatment during the period when most can be gained from the drugs which are uh, dealing with the particular mechanism that is active at that time. So, cutting to the chase, this means immunotherapy during the first few years after the disease has been recognised and during what, for me, is a single window of therapeutic opportunity. Thank you. When you introduced uh, the round table, um, you raised the concern that there is a delay in implementing logic in the interest of the patient, uh, in particular prescribing behaviour and the relative merits of induction versus escalation. Uh, Why do you believe this discrepancy uh, between evidence and clinical practice continues to exist? Yes, I I did raise that point, um, partly because I believe it's crucial and partly to be provocative. So... In the United Kingdom and and most other places, uh, whether or not a medicine is uh, actually prescribed depends on three things. The the licensed indications, uh, the reimbursement arrangements and the decision of the treating physician. And because all treatments, and especially those for MS, have risks and benefits, the culture, as you say, has developed of escalation therapy in which safe drugs are prioritised, even if their efficacy is a bit less secure. And only when these are shown to have failed are those that are more potent but less safe then used. But the problem is, of course, that by then the disease process may have evolved so that our precious window of opportunity has passed. The trend in licensing over recent years has been, with some variations in countries, to recognise that drugs should be made available early in the course if they're highly effective and despite adverse effects profiles. And I would say that most reimbursement agencies have also accepted what I would call an informed and an emancipated position. 
paradoxically, the, the community that's been most reluctant to adopt the induction strategy does seem to have been the prescribing physician. And one can really only speculate on whether this is driven by safety concerns, by conservatism and habit, or by incentives that influence the selection of existing drugs as first-line therapies. So that, for me, is the position we're in, that two of the three bodies have got it, but the prescribing neurologist does still seem a little slow to go. Uh, And finally, uh, Alistair, what do you feel are the key remaining outstanding questions from uh, the roundtable that that you chaired? And where do you think we go from here? Well, it was it was a very interesting day. And congratulations to those who uh, thought of it and organised it. I mean, the Brain Health Report argues that that turning back the neurological clock uh, once disability is established and regaining function in the context of brain atrophy is tough, possibly impossible, um, and could be an unnecessary task if the strategy was different. What we know suggests that achieving that precious outcome of no evidence of disease activity, so-called NEDA, N-E-D-A, using both clinical new brain lesion and brain atrophy outcomes, and also the potential for some recovery of disability, that is to say improvement, is most likely with the induction therapy strategy. So it follows that time matters insofar as preventing disability is concerned. And whilst the nuances of what drug and when can be debated and different selections defended in balancing up risk and benefit in the context of varying clinical situations that promise more or less advancement of the disease over time, for me, really, the age has passed when waiting until it's too late can be condoned. And to be tough, I I think posterity will judge harshly a generation of neurologists that had the evidence before them, knew what should be done, but hesitated to act and perpetuated the escalation approach to the treatment of MS. I think, in the end, disability and progression are, are more likely to be preventable than treatable. We do need predictive measures of future disability that will allow us to judge who is at high risk. And the strategy of induction therapy rather than escalation, for me, needs to be adopted as the gold standard for treating multiple sclerosis. Thank you, Alistair. That's been very interesting. Um, And we hope listeners enjoy listening to this podcast. Uh, If you're interested, we have a full video recording of the roundtable and another session we held on the same day on the JNNP website, uh, which is jnnp.bmj.com. Thank you again, Alistair. Well, thank you, Janet, for involving me in what was the most interesting day. (laughs) 